This podcast is recorded on the lands of the Pangarang people. We pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging, and acknowledge that sovereignty was never ceded, and that modern Australia has never come to terms with what was done to Indigenous people following European colonisation. Well may we say, God save the Queen, because nothing will save the Governor-General. You know I've searched my heart to prove There's better ways to push and pull Hey, whatever gets you through these days Hello and welcome to Well May We Say, a progressive podcast about Australian politics. This is episode 154 for Saturday 1st of October 2022. I'm Jeremy Sierpico and each week I'll be joined by a different guest host hypothetically, but at the moment a regular returning guest host to help me discuss what's just been happening to Australia, what's likely to happen and hopefully what we can do about it. Welcome back, regular returning guest host, uh, Denise. Hello, good to be here. I thought perhaps we should start today with the exciting news from the medical experts advised by other medical experts, the public health-minded individuals that make up the National Cabinet, Mm. and their wise decision to, from the uh, middle of this month, to end even COVID isolation requirements. Yeah, uh, except for people who work in healthcare and and high-risk settings like that. But generally, just let it rip. Just, you know, we don't need to isolate. It'll be fine. Well, if also, you have chronic illness or disability, oh well. Try not to catch it somehow. They're also trying to minimise things like telehealth appointments, which was another way of yeah. minimising. So in July, they were supposed to remove 33 items off the list of uh, available telehealth appointments, but they were also supposed to reduce the number significantly that any GP could do. Um, and it got pushed out until this weekend and now the medical association and the royal australian college of general practitioners have both said like you need to delay it even more especially now why are they doing it's just a cost thing it is a cost thing oh they're saying that it's for the best it's for the best interest of the patient because you need to have that in face contact um and the both the australian medical association and general practitioners are saying that yeah, you do need some in-face contact, but for people with chronic illnesses, for people with cancer, for people for people with mental health issues, these are all things that are supposed to be coming off. That removing these items and coming to this uh, 30-20 rule, which is that they can't do more than 30 appointments on telehealth for more than 20 days in a 12-month period. Yeah, okay. it's, just, it's going to harm people. It's going to harm people. One of the very few positives about the horrific pandemic was that it actually forced entities to have a better understanding of, of how you can use telecommunications. So, for mm. example... But in what I do, the courts, we're in the country. So previously, you would have everything would have to be done in the local court, which from Wangaratta, the nearest one, is literally over the border in New South Wales in Albury. And you would, and they would have, you know, 34 matters before one judge in, in the Imperial Circuit Court at the time in a day. Like it was one of the positives about the pandemic is that people can appear remotely, um, which means that, you know, you don't have to pay a lawyer to appear for a whole day in court. You can pay for the lawyer to, they can literally appear, attend for their desk for just that period. Yeah. And they're not traveling to a remote court, sitting around waiting to get called on. Like, that had some huge cost benefits. It had some huge practical benefits for people who live remotely who can attend court, both the magistrate's courts and the federal courts. Obviously, there are limits. And in the same way as with medical appointments, there are things you need to be physically examined by the doctor. But there is an awful lot that requires no physical yeah. examination at all and can be done perfectly well over telehealth. And not just in a way that in terms of COVID reduces transmission of viruses or other viruses. Like, it's not just yeah. COVID, it's not the only virus. Like, it's, it's very helpful. Obviously... 
when people are really sick with a contagious virus, probably they do need to be examined precisely. They're probably the ones where the doctor does need to actually examine them in person. But they can at least do screening through telehealth. Yeah. And there's an awful lot of people who don't need to go to the doctor's surgery at all and be exposed to the people who do need to be there physically. Yeah. That, why would you be winding that back? And if it's cost, just... Look, well, just like everything, everything that they say we need to cut because of costs right now, the straightforward answer immediately is, don't do the stage three well, tax cuts. Don't, don't do them. Just don't, don't, don't do them. Yeah, don't exactly. Do them. I know. The, but, but they said they would. They said they would before the election. So but, now they but have to. They were always a bad idea. But now yeah. it's even the worst time for them. Like, even even Lambie's coming back and being like... pants on. But that's right, because only by... Really making people angry and causing harm. Can we know that we've made the tough decisions? Exactly. It's a brain disease. Unfortunately, though, Labor members who who do have the West Wing brain disease, even that's they probably they don't have time to go into the doctor's surgery. They'd only do it by telehealth, and now they can't go by telehealth. Well, and what they're saying is they'll allow video consultations for some of these things, but as the uh, only briefly. But as the but as the College of General Practitioners has said, you know, you have a lot of people who live rurally or remotely who don't necessarily have great internet access. You also have a lot of older patients who aren't comfortable with video technology, so therefore they want like a, a straight phone consult, um, and that's the thing that they're comfortable doing. They just they especially with this isolation closure and the fact that. COVID is just going to the I was listening to ABC News yesterday and the head of the American the Australian sorry Australian Medical Association was on and he was saying how the modeling they've seen shows that we're expecting another big surge in November so that's fantastic if we're expecting another big surge of COVID in November well we should be doing everything we can to help it spread (laughs) this thing what is really depressing so clearly the bottom line here is so it's a national cabinet it's a unanimous decision so Labour premiers and Liberal premiers all did it together. So none of them... Well, Victoria's coming to an election. Mm. I know Andy Green this morning by making the point, by the way. Everybody be aware, be aware of this. Um, even though we've had three federal elections with the fixed Senate voting system, so you can preference above the line, Victoria does not have that. Yeah. I think it's the only state left that doesn't have it. It hasn't fixed it yet. And yeah. why they haven't done that? I mean, obviously the prevailing theory is that Liberal and Labour parties would rather have a couple of wacko micro um, parties sneak through on the sort of group ticket problems that we used to have than the Greens win seats, for example. Like, it, it seems to be pretty much just a political calculation. But it's idiotic. Like, it's just, they're just pulling a fast one on Victorian voters who are used to the Victorian, the federal system. Anyway, so separate to that. So it feels like the National Cabinet, the bottom line is, at this point... How is a political leader, to, if you were one of those premiers, say you're a decent person who is a premier right now, it's, unless you're going to put borders around your state at this point, if all the other states are going let it rip, what what realistically can you do? Like, it's going to spread well, wildly anyway. Especially because you're not going to get federal assistance. You're just going to piss people off. You're going to cause a lot of issues. Like, you, you're, there's no way to do it. So essentially um, what hap- what has happened is, because of the way that we let the anti-vaxxers and the the, the freedom lock anti-lockdown lunatics, who, by the way, big noise, not actually supported by a majority of Australians, did not win seats at the election. There was an election. They were they were sure they were going to win seats. Palmer ran people in every every electorate around the country. Didn't win any. Yeah. Now, so there is a lot of noise. But it sounds to me, and what's really terrifying about it for the future, I mean, obviously there's an immediate problem, which is this horrifying virus, which isn't just you get have a mild flu and you well again. A, people die from it. Mm. And B, what we're noticing in America now is the consequences of long COVID, which includes things like the brain fog leading to things like motor vehicle accidents. And yeah, like they're... 
they're having a huge thing in the U.S. where people are just pulling out at red lights because they have such a weird, they're calling it COVID, uh, COVID accidents, where they see a red light, they no longer understand what it means, and they just pull forward. You said, like, it's horrifying. This is, this is not a, oh, well, it'll be gone, let's move on. It's, and they're it's, saying it's, that with like, Omicron. Um, the studies from the U.S. are showing that Omicron has a higher uh, rate of long COVID than the previous forms, that it's over 20%. I think Dominic Perrottet says sums it up very well in his tweet yesterday. Dominic Perrottet? Did you say the right it's, it's been pleasing to see the nation moving forward as one to end mandatory isolation requirements for COVID-19 effective 14 October. It's time for us all to take responsibility for our actions and get on with life to the greatest extent possible. That's right. It's all time for us all to take responsibility for a highly transmissible virus that we can't control, that there are no safeguards in place for because mask wearing has gone out the window as well. I mean, absolutely. Well, well said, Dominic. Well said. What's additionally terrifying is that what this says that they have learned for the next one that comes too. So let's pretend for a second that COVID, let's ignore the fact that COVID itself is still there, hasn't gone away, just because it's weird that you kind of say it's over and COVID goes, oh, sorry, <laughs> just I should have taken the hint. Oh my God. It's weird, uh. weird that you can't just tell it what to do and it just disappears. But the other thing that I'm now afraid of is that what have we learned over the whole period of COVID the politicians have learnt you can't stop it. There's no point trying. It's going to ultimately go wild anyway. We've learned that the lowest common denominator being the first um, jurisdictions to give up, they're the ones who ultimately do it for the rest of us. And none mm-hmm. of, we don't have a, a global consensus on what to do. We're not, we haven't put anything in place to make sure that we deal with it better next time. It sounds like literally what we've done is decide that actually we'll do it worse next time. We're mm-hmm. not even going to try and hold it back. We're going to just let it rip from the very beginning. Which isn't just, oh, well, it's doing it faster and you get the same results. No, no. Giving up means that, A, you're going to let it spread before there are even vaccines, so the consequences on human lives will be vastly more Ah. severe. And, B, you're giving it more time to mutate in a bigger population, meaning you get even worse. It's like, essentially... Yeah, more variants again. You see, watching in the 90s, like watching films like Outbreak or like reading books like The Hot Side, like reading books about these horrific viruses that could spread and why and how humanity pulls together to fight them well yeah I mean, is, that's not exactly what happens in those but, but the idea the idea is though you've got to see there are a lot of movies where humanity does pull together to fight these big catastrophes that happen and the premise of it is that now in the in the the, the great future years of the 1990s we have the future technology we we can we have the mechanisms in place we have the the cdc and we have amrad and we have amrad amrad Amrid, <laughs> I don't know. Amrid sounds like a, like a 1980s computer. Anyway, the, did you? So, so the idea was that the, the there's a World Health Organization. Nations would come had the bodies in place that if there was an outbreak of one of these things, we could squash it as a species. And what has now become apparent is a we didn't, and b no we're going to be even worse next time because the the, the political consensus is. You can't stand against. You can't stand against progress, and by progress we mean letting Business. the virus progress. <laughs> and, and that's horrifying. I mean, like we saw that you can. We do have mechanisms that can be used. Now we didn't have national quarantine facilities. And we had to leave it up to states, sort of trying to fudge it with using hotels as quarantine facilities, which they're not built for. Mm. So you would think that, that you, seeing that that didn't work, you would go, "We've got to make sure that we've got proper quarantine facilities." But instead of that, what we've learned is, "I oh, don't bother trying at all." But we saw that. Where states were shutting it down, that did contain it for yeah. a while. And it bought time for the vaccines to come in. And ultimately, if everybody had done that, we would have been able to... Like, the virus isn't magic. It needs to have human yeah. beings to spread. It does. 
So it should not be beyond us. This idea that we've had that humanity reached a point of technological advance that we could actually have, we, we would be capable of dealing with something like this and it would be different to in the past. Mm. And all we've learned through this is that would be assuming that A, we had actually the proper public institutions to do it, B, that they work together, and C, that we didn't have a much better organised media environment where cranks and, and people who will fight against that will be amplified to the point mm. where the political will will dissipate. Yeah. I think on top of this, you have the fact that, so they're also stopping paid pandemic leave for people who are in casualized workforces, along with the isolation. So there you have people will be forced to go to work. A lot of those in high contact areas, if you're looking at casualized workforces, you're talking about people, you know, working in grocery stores and things like that. Whether that leave will continue for people who work in like aged care or that sort of thing is, is unclear because they've said that, you know, isolation will continue in, in those high risk spaces. It, it literally should be a thing that exists separate to COVID. It, it, is in, it is bizarre that we don't have a system where if you are working in an aged care... If you're working in... Actually, it doesn't matter. If you're working and you can't attend work because of illness, particularly contagious illness, like illness in general yeah. should be covered as a compassionate thing. So we certainly shouldn't be having people who, who starve because they are unwell. Yeah. But it's even more stupid when you're talking about something contagious where yeah. literally you should be paying people to stay home because it's much cheaper to the public. Sorry, because it's a decent thing to do and it minimises suffering. But also, even if you're just a, a, a morally bankrupt economist... It's still cheaper than the consequences of but, letting viruses spread. And it's one of the reasons that Victoria is trialing the five days of uh, sick leave per year for uh, casualized workforces. But that's beside the point. One of the things you can do uh, while they close isolation is, you know, wear masks in public places. You can go and get vaccinated. If you don't have your third vaccination, go get it um, if you qualify. Oh, up to fourth now. We're up to fourth. If you qualify for fourth, you, ha- you can get, get your fourth. But just to make that easier, Victoria's actually closing, uh, yesterday closed the remaining 12 state-run vaccination centers it had, which is because more people are going to their pharmacists, which is fine if you're an adult. They can't give, pharmacists can't give vaccines to children. And the thing we discovered living up here in a semi-rural area is that when we went to get our daughter vaccinated, um, none of the doctors here had the vaccines. They had just closed the vaccination center. None of the doctors here had uh, kids' vaccines. And the pharmacists can't give vaccines to kids. And so you have this situation where you suddenly have people again in a gap where, you know, they're closing these vaccination centers with not great communication, not great systems. They've just announced that under five-year-olds can get the vaccine if they're high risk. Uh, well, they, they were uh, eligible for Minerda a couple of years ago and a couple months ago, sorry, and um, Pfizer, Pfizer as of this month. But again, doctors aren't stocking it because the vaccine centers exist, but now the vaccine centers don't exist, but that really isn't communicated. And so it, again, the big thing that we have as a, this is how we protect ourselves, the government's sort of going, well, there's not as much demand for it. And so, you know how airlines, traffic control works, where the responsibility doesn't pass to the next traffic controller until the other other one hands it off why is that not the case in health why is there a cap why is it that you can shut down the thing without the people who you now think are going to take it over having accepted and confirmed that they have it in hand mm. now like yeah. that that should not anyway talking things that should not happen corruption corruption Sorry, the labor has introduced their icac bill the issue about public hearings which are obviously a fundamental point of so it's a thing that really terrifies the libs because they're being very corrupt and they'd like to be able to not have to deal with those things in public. Uh, in fact, you would almost say that any ICAC model that has the support of the Liberal Party is it's evidence that it's not strong yeah, enough. Yeah, probably, probably. And it's one of the things that you know, Bridget Archer is actually standing up from her party and saying that she supports an ICAC. 
Where they see that clearly, clearly something's missing there because an actual eye cat would be doing something. But, but I think she's one of the only ones because Dunnan is standing no, up there saying that it's well, too, it's too much. Well, he he came in and said that he was originally coming in and saying that he supported it. Now he's sort of going, oh, actually, that might be too far. He's trying to have it both ways. He he, he does want to draw a line under between him and and Morrison. Yeah. But obviously, the, Liber, the all of the current Liberal Party were in office under Morrison, and things like public hearings were things that they absolutely would not accept at all. Yeah. Public referrals, like these no, were lines. No, it, it would be a kangaroo court. Mm. And, by, and by kangaroo court, they it's just every time they have a whinge about it, and what is it, show trials and stuff? All they literally mean is people putting us on trial. Like it's just well, it's it's like when um. When Berejiklian and, and everyone else is being investigated in New South Wales, and they're like, it's a kangaroo court. But here are our findings, which actually show that this person did this thing. Yeah. But it was still a kangaroo court. They managed to fudge it. Like, the New South Wales Liberal Party still have got away with arguing that what happened to Berejiklian isn't an example of ICAC working. It's an example of ICAC going over, off the rails. But, like, they, they found what she was... Like, they, yeah, she was doing those things. Like, yeah. what, what do you... It's, it's like, that is the example of what the terrible things that could happen with an ICAC. And by terrible things, they mean one of our friends being held to account for the things oh, they did. Goodness. And for the public, it's like, that's a feature, not a bug. Yeah. But meanwhile, la- the problem with Labour is that, as, as we have noted many, many times before, and I, I hope me referring to it as West Wing brain disease makes sense to people at this point, and I don't know, keep explaining what that, but the general idea that there is nothing higher than the virtue of bipartisanship and working with the other, the other side. Like, compromise, being willing to negotiate on issues to progress... Things is certainly a, a political virtue. Being bloody-minded and letting mm. the the perfect be the enemy of the good, and or just not being willing to try to go like as long as you are as long as there is progress and it's not sabotaging other progress. Um, sure, you should be able to willing to negotiate, but that's not what Labor means by bipartisanship. They mean if we can get the other big party on board, then that gives us political cover. It uh, and it, it's in and of itself a virtue because it shows that we're wearing the big boy pants because we're willing to work with mm. our official opponents. And so they would rather sacrifice. So what they've done is with public hearings, they're in there, but they have to be exceptional. The circumstances have to be exceptional. It's in the opinion of the, the body running it. And I, I, there was a question I saw in Question Time the other day of, of one of the, back, one of the um, crossbench asking Dreyfus, the, the Attorney General, why, why they weren't just giving the power to the, the commission to... Make the make the decision, um, and he said, "But we are, we are. They they do have the decision. That's why we put that in there." And uh, he just fudged over the fact that the, that they've added the word "exceptional" to it, ah. the, which sets a bar and gives people the ability to argue. Not like it gives them an argument of why why this shouldn't happen. They can say, "Well, this isn't exceptional." You can have litigation arguing whether or yeah. not this case qualifies as as exceptional before it can be opened up. Whereas if you just got rid of that and it was just up to the body to decide whether it should be public or not, then that's what Labor says it's supposed to do. Yeah. But what they've actually put in place is a hurdle that the LNP understands very much is something that they can exploit to protect themselves. Um, and they and Labor are just trying to pretend that, no, no, it's up to the commission to decide. But you've specified a hurdle that they would have yeah. to defend, yeah. which might be a hard... Exceptional is, by, de- by what the word means, is exceptional. It's hard to overcome. Like, it should not be in there. That, that, that word should be removed. But, of course, if you remove it, then the Liberals won't support it. And I, even though Labor has enough votes with the Teals and the Greens... Who are also actually pushing for a stricter... Um, you know, they're, they're pushing for... <coughs> sorry, they're pushing for a stronger ICAC. So they're definitely pushing for, you know, the public uh, hearings for something that can really have teeth and hold people to account because that's what they've campaigned on. And, and Labor could, has the votes. He can, they can yeah. pass it with those yeah. support. It doesn't need... They don't need the, the Liberal support. Like, this isn't a situation where Labor can plausibly say, look, we had to compromise it to get it over the line. No, 
this isn't about getting over the line. This is about a giving themselves political cover so that the liberals mm. can't complain that it's it's a lefty thing to attack them. Uh, there's kind of an argument there, I suppose. Like if the the libs have buy-in, then but 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 that's assuming that they will be, that the libs give a damn about being consistent. They'll still whinge. They'll say this commission's gone off the rails, or like they will still if when it comes back to bite them. They'll still find excuses as to why the process is is illegitimate. They never accept that a process that finds them guilty of stuff is a, a legitimate process. So the thing that Labor is claiming they're doing it for is not going to work anyway. Uh, so that what then what it boils down to is that Labor would rather have um, everything be muddled, muddled between and, and have worked with the Libs than to let the Teals and the Greens have have a win. Absolutely, absolutely. And they see this because, well, Labour really resents the Teals and the Greens. Like, they they resent those independents. They resent places where vote, votes didn't go to them, and they don't want to have to work with them. Yep. So. Interestingly, uh, it's not like the Liberals will ever actually play along, because apparently they sent an email out this week. After every election, there's a routine review, and they look at they look at the election, and they look at what happened. And they so this is an internal their, email to the members. Yes. No, no, this is to their supporters. Right. Liberal sent this to Liberal supporters, claiming that uh, Labour wants to allow more non-citizens to vote in our election. And to fundamentally change uh, how we do politics. Because one of the things that gets floated most times they do this review is the fact that Australian permanent residents in New Zealand can vote in New Zealand elections. Should we consider the this likewise here? You know, but they, they go out, they, they have no mandate for this. They didn't bring it up before the election. And so it's, liberals will just jump up and, and keep saying over and over that, you know, there's no mandate. They didn't bring it up before the election. You know, uh, they'll, they'll never work with Labour. They'll never compromise well, this, back. This is, this is their classic. Like, I mean, one, one of the things you can always say to, to low-information right-wing voters is that the, uh, people are coming from overseas to take away your rights. So mm-hmm. foreigners coming and voting is is always a right-wing well, and it's very powerful in the US and the liberals here would love to have it in as a thing that Exactly they and and they're saying you know if the, it'll start with New Zealand but then who's next who next will they let in to have the vote and and as says their email Oh what's and, the thing that was in the this week the the, the delays for um, applications for permanent visas are yeah. like just the extent and, to which we are And they're talking again about <clears throat> with those permanent visas, but how important they are and how they're the way to ensure that we uh, fix our immigration system. But yeah, it's come up again. It's staggering to me that we don't just say, look, if you're here, we're happy to have open borders about money. We're happy to have money that the rich want to move around from country to country as easily as possible so they can dodge tax and so forth. But but human beings moving to live somewhere else on the planet, like, yes, why one group of human beings gets to exclude another group of human beings from a particular spot that they that is on the planet? Yep. It's idiotic. Anyway, or, or when they're living here, the idea that if you're that you, you can be living here, but I'm sorry because of some because of your visa status, I'm sorry you can just starve to death in a ditch. Or it like it's just, or you can't get medical care. Or, it's just idiotic. It if you're here, you should, like, we should be treating every human being here decently. It's true, so, anyway, and as we mentioned earlier, the Victorian election is coming up, and so the Liberals they're really working hard to bring out their big guns. One thing to know about Dan Andrews, he's been health minister or premier for 12 years. They're in the middle of a health crisis, but Dan doesn't care. He cut $2 billion from health. What a nightmare. But somehow he still found $35 billion to invest in one train. Is he insane? Vic has the most set in the country, but he wants to raise it further. We can't let this occur. It's time to end his career. 
And then Coolio passed away because he heard that, and it was just too much. Did you see the way the Australian described the Coolio thing? Like he was a, he was a, a, a rapper, and he was a Canberra public transport enthusiast. What? Uh, as reported in the Oz, uh, the rapper, father, and Canberra light rail advocate. He was known around the world for his advocacy for Canberra light rail. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And I think it is the thing that, that you will see mentioned more than anything over the next few weeks. Well, apparently he had at some point hailed the Canberra light rail project as, quote, dope. Yes, yes. Um, and told Yarralumla residents, concerned their suburb could turn into a ghetto, that it probably already is one. <laughs> Well, I mean, the Governor General does live there, so it makes sense. Um, so anyway, back, back to our, our, our young liberal friend. So this this leads on to two sort of wildly, this is like, well, may we say wildly speculative, pondering the nature of politics corner. So I have a question for you. This young conservative with her rather... We will call it a wrap. Further and career do not rhyme. And if, if there is a way that somebody could make further and career rhyme... She did not achieve that. I don't know if... Maybe there is somebody more talented who could make that work. I doubt. I doubt it. I I don't... I have my doubts, but certainly what we've established there is that she couldn't. And I don't even know her name. I know the Australians got a young uh, conservative doing... They're trying to pitch... They've expanded their sort of TikTok uh, avenue uh, over at the Oz. There's obviously something that conservatives are like, we need to reach the young people. And obviously there are right-wing young people. So my question, though, is who is the more... Morally problematic as a human being. The young conservative, the, the, somebody who may well just be parroting what their parents and environment have told them. So they, mm. they, I think young right-wingness often is just somebody who's socially isolated, doesn't, has, hasn't really learnt empathy, is very close to, doesn't understand what, what the impact of what they're advocating is in the real world. And often has a lot of privilege in their life and so has never really come up against anything but doesn't necessarily feel that they have privilege because they've had some hard things happen to them too. Yeah, I don't get everything I want. Some things I want I didn't get. Um, <clears throat> but alternatively, like they are also people who, at the time that you are supposed to be... A, having your eye open to the possibilities of what can be there. They're, they're, they are the ones who are emotionally linked to the past as if they were old people. Like, so there's them. And then there's old people who are more commonly going to the right because as you get more stuff, you become more selfish about it. Um, and I guess as they go, to, as they get older and they accumulate more stuff and they, they've got a little voice in the back of their head saying, you're being a bit of a dick. This is, I mean, is this right? Is this, uh, is this, a, is our lack of the fact that we don't care about the things we used to care about anymore, and is that a bad thing? And so they double down because it's, yeah. it's, it's more emotionally satisfying and straightforward to do. You just double down and you're like, actually, no, uh, I'm doing this for my family. So all yeah. these immoral things that I'm doing, all these horrible things I advocate, as long I'm doing it for my family. So it's technically slightly outside of me. So it's still a moral thing. My selfishness is expanded to a couple of other people around me. So therefore, it's not quite as selfish. I do think social conservatism, social conservatism also plays a role there where... Um... The conservative parties are often seen as more socially conservative as well, and that can tie in. But in what way? Like, what does it? How does that impact on the young or the old? Well, I'm saying older people being more socially conservative. Oh, so that in terms of social issues, that's probably more the world progresses, and so to become socially conservative as you get older, you just need to stick with what you, yeah, what was exactly. the so social norm when you were young. And that's what I was trying to say. Yeah, so you stayed the same and don't progress. progress. You don't learn. So if you lock in and you're like, damn it. I have the world. I have. I have my firm views of what the world should be, and I'm not going to change. But I yes, don't know. The, I every time I say something, I offend someone. It's those mm. snowflakes. It's that sort of attitude that leads someone also to be more aligned with a conservative viewpoint. Because 
if you're so there's two ways of, of experiencing life. One is you are uh, you're you're a machine. You're, you know you, you're taking inf- information. You as you go through life, you experience new things. You are exposed to new things. You uh, new things happen to you. New things happen around. Like there's data coming in, and you can either have that data change. You can either process that data and it make changes to you, and you change and grow. Mm-hmm. Or you can say, no, that's weakness and betraying what I stand for, and I don't care. I don't care for this personal growth thing. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with where I was at this point, and I'm going to stick with that way forever. And it doesn't matter how many years I live. I'm going to resist that information as it comes in. I mean, that that is a valid thing that you could do. Well, it's not valid. It, it's it's a thing people do as human beings. Like there is a reason, but and it's in some ways it's easier to do than because other because processing information and changing yourself is is hard. So, I don't know, my, my feeling, and, and, and maybe I'm biased on this because I was once a young conservative. I grew up in a fairly right-winging household that would whinge about the union. The unions were the worst things ever. They had strikes, Denise. Sometimes the trams in Melbourne had strikes, and it was very inconvenient, and it was those bloody unions. I grew up in the sort of household where we didn't cross the picket line, and we cancelled family plans because people were striking. We grew up in different households. Yes. Anyway, I went to a snooty private school, again, didn't earn it. Um, parents worked uh, hard to send me there. Yeah. And then, um, as you know, I felt that I'd earned my place in a snooty degree at Melbourne Uni, but again, a massive privilege that, mm. that under, under, you know, underpinned that, but I was oblivious to it because you are, you haven't, as a kid, you haven't been exposed to other things. And it, it took a gradually sort of shift. <laughs> yeah. It took, it actually took somebody at the frying offices telling me, yeah, okay, sure. You, you, you your parents might have worked hard to send you to a, a very to a good school, but what did you do to deserve it? Like, oh yeah, actually, no, fair point. I didn't earn any of this. This is not a, this is not mm. at all. This is and, and there are obviously there are lots of things that I hadn't earned in terms of privileges. But you know, it takes it takes like one crack for the dam to go. Oh yeah, actually, no, this is all bullshit. But it depends. Like it depends how how shored up you have that dam. Yeah, and and but if I hadn't had that, would how long would it? How long could I have stayed in that environment? The more you lock that in, maybe you, you maybe it withstands the, the challenges to it and you never sort of grow. This particular one, though, I don't think she's as young as that. I think she's in her mid-20s to late, late 20s. Yeah. And I think she has gone through that period where that growth was potentially, it was probably going to be the strongest and has come out the other end as... Um, as a young liberal. And a liar. Like, <laughs> as, as, uh, as as friend of the podcast, you wanted to point out, like, $35 billion for one train. Like, somebody needs to be checking out that train. Is yes, exactly. <laughs> that's a pretty fancy train. Well, they, what you, mm, it feels like there's some loot. Not, yes. not that we would be after. Anyway, all right. So there's that question. I also want to ponder a question that was raised by a uh, discussion on, on the Serious Danger podcast, which a uh, friend of the podcast, Tom Ballard and Emerald Moon, do, which is on Greens Adjacent Politics and is very good. Been, been enjoying that while, while we were on hiatus. And they had Will Anderson on um, a month or so ago but that was released from their, their paywall this week. And there was a discussion, a point that Will made, uh, also a friend of the podcast, as to this phenomenon that seems to be where the right can, despite all their differences, coalesce and work together for, for their political ends, whereas the left tends to tear itself apart. And so differences, obviously there's differences in both, in, in any large group mm. of people, but on the right they tend to um, ignore the differences and concentrate on the things they have in common, and on the left it seems to be that the differences are, are magnified and and, pull, and we'd rather pull apart. So why, why do you think that? Because the right is full of bullies and people who tell each other what to do. Okay, that's a thesis. My, it's, well, well, my there the- aren't bullies on the left? 
No, I think there are bullies, but I think, look, I think it has to do with the goals too, because sometimes the goals of the right seem to just be take down the left. Yes. So, <laughs> we have a lot of grievances about those filthy leftists. Everything the lefty wants to do is to unite against a common enemy. Exactly. And so with the left, it's like, well, no, we want to make things better, but we want to make things better by doing A. We want to make things better by doing B, C, D, E, and so on. And sometimes those things don't align and people get very focused on the thing they want to do to get, make it better mm. rather than just stepping forward. Because then what if that step forward isn't enough? And it, it's hard because like... If you make a change and you entrench it and it's not really the right change or it's only a partial change, is it enough? Like, So, so, so it's the, the fundamental difference there being that the left is trying, so trying to progress to a changed scenario and that's, that's innately hard. Mm. And so... Because nobody can necessarily agree on what the scope of the change should be. Yeah, and and so, and, and well, I suppose also because you got it's kind of like the glass half full thing, like which I always seem to think of the opposite of being what people think. Glass the person who says half full is the optimist, and so the one who says half empty is the pessimist. I think it's the reverse. I think the optimist is thinking the glass will be full, and they're like, oh, it's half empty. Whereas the pessimist would be like, there's not going to be anything in the glass, and it's half there. And they're like, oh, it's half full. So I tend to think like the left is more like my, my like my version of the optimist, like. They they have this vision of what the the outcome what a better scenario would be, mm-hmm. and so anything that's pulling back from that is more noticeable and more frustrating. Whereas the the right is simply just trying to stop change or undo change, and that's much easier to fight about because it's it's always easier to find arguments against something than for something. Yep, and it's also one of those things where we have people who uh, masquerade as being left who aren't, aka (coughs) Labour Party, Um, and (coughs) the idea is that if you don't have people pushing for those stretch goals, so to speak, we won't (laughs) ever get there. Did you see there's a new Kickstarter, there's a new game that the the maker of Pandemic, Matt Leacock, has done, which is about climate change. It's called Daybreak, and it looks very interesting. And it's not, and also it's not on Kickstarter, which is evil. It's on a on a different yeah. crowdfunding platform. Anyway, but that's it's by the, sorry, stretch goals. This just, just this just turned into a, a board game podcast. I really um, want to turn into a board game podcast, but apparently that's a bit too much of a shift. Well, we already have one podcast. We're not doing. We we need to get better at doing before we can start another one. <laughs> we are doing it. This is the second week in a row. I know. Very exciting. Anyway, but yeah, the the point is that you know the stretch goals. You know, if you don't have the greens there, or in this case with the ICAC, the the teal is in the independence, um, and the greens pushing towards those better situations. If you don't have the people on that side pushing towards a better deal with climate change, you know, and just saying, oh no, what Labour says okay, it's fine. You know, that is locking us in in a. Uh, into a shitty situation like there are there are things happening you do need that push unfortunately what happens is yeah, i don't think Labor, i don't think Labor would be pushing for icac if it hadn't become pushed a issue massive, by the Greens the, yeah the tears, a massive so. massive election <clears throat> issue um and the the thing is you have labor sitting there going but look but we're fighting for you and we're doing stuff and, and how dare you you know fight for more be happy well, with what we gave you um i think it's hard like it it I've seen it in a lot of committees as well, but then you see it in sort of conservative groups of committees too, where people have different visions for how they but run the like, situation. And what they can all One, agree on is that the lefties are disgusting, and we've got so many resentments against them. As long as we're bashing the left in some way, exactly. But where, where's but, but hang on, does but that then not, you, not, does but that then, like you then see like you 
you know, even the right has their like George Christiansons and their what Bernie. Uh, Finn. Yeah. They even like the right has these people too who push for even wilder, more right things. They have their Clive Palmers. They have their Pauline Hansons. They, they have their. But they use those. They actually use them as cover. So mm-hmm. un- unlike the Labour Party that, that could. If Labor, the Labour was afraid of being portrayed as, as too lefty, well, what it could do is use the the Greens and anyone to the on, on the on the left to do, to advocate the stuff that Labor doesn't feel like doing. They wouldn't be so determined to destroy them. They could use them as a useful shield, and they could be like, "Well, we're not as left as those guys." Yeah. I mean, but but it, use them to pull people in general a bit more to the left to yeah. get what they want. Yeah. Except use them as useful allies, it, but without having like Labor would never declare them as act, as actual allies. But they don't need to. They could. But but instead, Labor would rather destroy them. But that well, you know what? And as I said, I lived for you know fourteen years, twelve years in uh, Albo's electorate, and he was always an anti-Greens tragic. Like hated them. Almost lost a seat to them once. So I just want to go back to the, the right thing. So it, feel, it feels like, and what I think what Will pointed out, like, you know, the Nats and the Liberals have different interests and they disagree on a lot of things. But fundamentally, A, even though the specifics of the social conservatism are different, like, so, you know, the economic liberals who just want low taxes don't necessarily, aren't necessarily anti-abortionists. Mm. Um, but they're not all that threatened by the anti-abortionists because they know they'll always be able to buy themselves abortions if they need them. Like, the rich, yeah. the rich the blocking abortion never stopped rich people getting abortions. Yeah. So they're like, oh, you know, it doesn't really hurt. And more importantly, it's an avenue by which that they can get political support for things that only really help the rich at the top. Like, the, the problem with being the rich at the top is you've got yeah. lots of money to fund things, but you don't have large numbers of you. But if you can get the large numbers of voters uh, to th- vote against their own interests, well, religion's a handy weapon for doing that. They've, I think the right is better at picking out ways in which the thing people they disagree with are useful to them. Well, like, the Libs and the Nats throw each other under the bus all the time. Yeah. So they, but then they, the next day they're standing there again. Like, because fundamentally they still agree on whacking the poor. They, they, our way is better than their way. It's almost, it's almost like you would think that... that the left would be uniting because we're pushing against the establishment. But what they've been, the right's been successful in doing is portraying all of the disparate parts of the left mm. as one, somehow, one monolith that is always, it, it, it wants to tax you. It wants to, you know, take away your religious privilege. It wants to let a migrant in. It's always, every, every resentment you can have, because the left is fundamentally about bringing up the marginalised and, mm. and helping people at the bottom. So, and it's, it's always interventionist because it always requires changing something so every time you change something you make someone pissed off yeah so maybe that's the central difference that the left by virtue of what the left is is more likely to be pissing off different people with everything that it does and therefore it's easier for the right to bring them all together i think that might be it all right i think that's probably a place to stop for this week we did we reach a did we as lefties reach a consensus what we did we did and we actually even managed to not have any um cat fully a- uh, action this week even though he's asleep there in the corner just you know uh, i think i think there was still have been a little bit of, of kid folly action that just well, happened at the end of the last know. bit before i stopped anyway what can you do? thank you for coming back to the podcast thank you to our patreon supporters for keeping on supporting the podcast thank you to uh, listeners who discuss with us on at well may we say on twitter and otherwise engage with the podcast and and promote the podcast thank you to people who leave positive reviews on the itunes thank you to alex lum for the artwork thank you robin gray for the music Thank you, everybody, and we will, based on based on this recording today, be back, be back next, next week. week. Bye. Bye.
Yes.